Come on, son, 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 son. <laughs> Raphael's on the track. Internets, welcome back to another episode of the Premium Pete Show. Sitting down, uh, listen, with a very good fellow. We live in Chicago. Yes, sir. This episode ain't a live episode, but we, we live from Chicago. <laughs> from Chicago, right? absolutely. With uh, the one and only man. There's so many. Let me tell you something, man. Uh, some people have a hard time uh, being called uh, legendary. But there are certain people who, uh, you know, have put the work in. Forget about 10,000 hours. We're talking about, you know. How 30 many years. How about 300, three, maybe <laughs> 3 million hours. Yeah, let's try could, that. Could be possible. I mean, actor. Uh, uh, stand-up you know, comedian. Stand-up comedian. I mean, always been funny. Even before, <laughs> before stepping on the stage. Uh, radio personality for so many years. Man, how the fuck are we going to get into it? How the fuck this guy still wakes up in the morning that early for radio? Uh so many, so many, so many integral parts of the culture that you help push forward, create uh, the one and only, the legendary Ed Lover. Thank you, sir. Oh, man. Thank you, brother. Great, Thank you. Great, great to have you, man. It's, it is nice being on the Premium Pete show for sure, man. It's it's like your podcast is, is one of those inspirational podcasts, you and Combat Jack, that actually got me into podcasting in the first fucking place. So I appreciate it, bro. I no, really do. For sure. Listen, I, one thing I love is, uh, you know, in the last time that we were with Combat, uh, probably was at E3C on that panel. Yeah. Yeah, that's and, right. And uh, rest in peace uh, to our brother, yeah. Reggio Say. That's right. Um, You know, and you have vocally. That's one thing I always loved about you. Like, you, you, <laughs> yo, you are straight to the point, man. Like, you know, you tell it how it is. If you don't like it, well, sorry, that's the way it is. And you're always somebody who has a, a given props when it's due. I remember you saying, you know, how... You know, even just now, but I remember you telling this story at A3C. We were like, yo, I, he wanted to come and do a podcast with me. I was like, yo, just me? And, <laughs> and then you're like, yo, he's the, he's the one that helped get me into podcasting to, uh, you know, give me the insight. Yeah. You know, there's a lot of people who don't understand uh, why they should have a podcast, especially people on radio. Mm -hmm. You know, look at the success of others. You know, even we look at somebody like uh, uh, Charlemagne. He's on the network. They got brilliant idiots, right? right. I remember Chris mm -hmm. Morrow telling me when he went to go pitch him, to do a podcast. He was like, yo, I'm on the radio already, my man. Right. Why would I do a podcast? Meanwhile, now his podcast, Brilliant is, Brilliant is a great platform, making good money from it, and it has furthered his brand along with yeah. the other brands. That's right. So it's great to see you, somebody who has evolved over the years in so many things. You, look, you OG in it for sure. <laughs> is it, is it, is it, has it been hard to uh, still stay relevant after all these years. Yeah, absolutely. That's 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 the hardest part of it. And um but for me what it is, Pete, is I'm comfortable in my own skin. So I don't always feel like that I have to do things to become relevant. I try to do things that are organic and then if it, if it gives me more relevancy then fine. I can't keep chasing, you know, what other people are doing. I have to do things that are comfortable for me. Sure. And that's the way I've always lived. That's that's the way I always will be. You know, time moves on, man. And if people recognize you as an OG or doing something or doing something else or somebody becomes more popular than you, it's fine. That's that's just the cycle of life. That's just the way things are. You know, uh, for people listening who know Ed Lover, they're going to learn a little bit more today. For people who don't know of you, I want them to learn about you. Okay. Now, you were born and raised where? I was born in Brooklyn, New York. Okay. In uh, Cumberland Hospital, and then when I when I do stand up, I always say I lived in Brooklyn. Then my father got a job. <laughs> um, we were in Brooklyn, and then we moved to Queens, like in the 
uh, early 70s. We moved to Queens, New York. And, and, and mom and dad, what did mom do? Mom worked for the telephone company, and uh, so did dad. What was that at the time? That was uh, that was a New York telephone company. That, the, yeah. yeah. It was called New York Telephone Yeah, company. that's all it was before it they- Verizon. It wasn't, no, it wasn't AT&T, AT&T Verizon. Yeah. It was, it, they used to just call it Ma Bell because, you know, that's who you got your phone service from, was from the telephone company before they split into Southwestern Bell and all of that. I remember when my dad died, he had stock, so when they- you know, they split. I used to get all these dividend checks from all these different little companies. It didn't amount to much, but it just, it was Southwestern Bell and this one and that one and this one and that one when the phone company actually split. But they both worked for the phone company. And and that's crazy. So they both worked for the company? And, and, yeah. And, and so, so growing up, you, you you would go to school, they both were working or they were both home? Like you They were, were both working. Yeah. I was a, I was what they call a latchkey kid. You okay, know, I have- school. Yeah, I had two older brothers and uh, a younger sister- and uh, went as for the whole time that we were in the same school, my oldest brother's job was to wait for us and walk everybody home from school. And then he had the key, and he would let us in the house. And we had to stay in the house until my mother came home mm. or be in the yard. That's the, the furthest you could go was that front yard or the backyard. That was it. Now, growing up, like, did uh, mom and pops go on, like, family vacations? or like? They- our, uh, Pete, our family vacation was driving from New York City to Emporia, Virginia, to see my grandfather. Mm. My, that was my mom. You know, my mom lost her mother when she was seven, so all she had was her dad. So going to see my grandfather was our family vacation. We all pile up in my dad's car, and we hit 95 and go straight down to Emporia, spend a week or two down there. I had a, a lot of cousins. I had one aunt, my favorite aunt, Edna, who passed away, my mother's youngest sister, who had nine kids. God. Yeah, nine kids. They didn't have a TV in there. No, hell, not for a while. They didn't. It was nine kids. It it was uh, yeah, it was mostly girls, and then it was the three boys. And Greg and I were about two months apart, so we were always together. So that was what I looked forward to. Is my aunt Edna coming? They called a bunch because she had a bunch of kids. My aunt Bunch coming and bringing her kids, because we were always at my grandfather's house and. As far as long as I can remember, to me, my grandfather's the oldest motherfucker in, mm. in, on the planet. He had no running water inside, and he had no bathroom God. inside his house. So we used the outhouse, or we okay, went okay. into the woods with some toilet paper. And when we wanted water, we had to pump the water out of the well and bring it in. And when we took a bath, we had to heat the water up on the stove and then pour it into, like, one of the big steel wash bins, and we took a bath in that. He had no running water or bathroom inside of his house. It was horrible going down there. It would have been funny if you had the cardboard <laughs> command sun sign yeah, at that time. Right? <laughs> you know? Yo, it was so horrible because you're coming from your own three-bedroom house with a basement, a front yard, and a backyard in Queens with running water. You're yeah. used to taking a bath and a shower, and then here you are down here visiting your grandfather. He has no amenities whatsoever. It was sure, that was like, a, it's good to be with family, but that's just a downgrade. Yes. You know what I mean? It's like, yo, we got to go there. And, and change our whole life. Yeah. Now. When my aunt died, you know one thing that saddened me? When my aunt died, my cousin Greg and I were sitting around at the repast and we were talking. And he told me, whenever y'all came down to visit, we thought that y'all were like super rich because you always had new clothes. Mm. Now, when you come from a family of nine children, it's it's tough to hear your cousin tell you whenever mama cooked chicken, I knew what piece of chicken I was getting. Mm. That's nine children. And two adults, that's 11 people, man. 
So when you know when somebody cooked, it wasn't like he was getting four, five, six pieces of chicken like I was getting if I'm coming from a family with two older brothers and sisters, only four kids. It's nine of them. That's a lot of people. Now, now, did pops? You, how was you and pops relationship? Oh, it's the best. Yeah. Like I am him. Like my mother says it all the time. My brashness, my upfrontness, everything that I learned about being a man, I learned from my father, mm. and I took certain gems away from what he taught his boys about being men. Like, I think one thing about me in this business is, I think sometimes if I was a little more kiss-ass, I would've got a little further, but my dad taught me never to be a kiss I don't care how much, what the person's stature is, how much money they have more than you have. You walk in as a man, you walk out as a man. That's one thing he drilled in us, especially the boys, all the time. Don't let nobody talk down to you because they got more money than you or they have more stature than you or they're doing this and they're doing that. That means nothing when it comes to you're a man the same way they're a man. So they're going to talk to you and show you the same respect that you showed them or we're going to have a fucking problem. And that's just that's how I am. That's the way I was raised. I don't feel like... In this industry, I could count on one hand how many people are really true friends of mine in this industry. I see people do it all the time. Like I saw Meek Mill, like after the Rockefeller um, brunch they had during yeah, the yeah. Grammy week, I saw Meek Mill uh, tweet like, "What happened to manhood?" I see niggas tripping over themselves just to get a picture with Jay. Yeah. Respecting somebody and being on somebody's dick is two different things. Sure. Like, I respect the shit out of everybody, but I'm not on your dick. Like, yeah, you know, I, I get jobs at radio stations. I used to work at Radio 1 out of Atlanta, and the first thing they did was like, oh, call Jay-Z and get an interview. You know Jay, call Puffy. Yeah, we know each other, but they're not my boys. I don't have their numbers yeah, sure. in my phone. We don't go to each other's barbecues. Yeah. You know what I mean? There's a difference. Like, Heavy D was my friend. When That's Heavy D piece. died, I was shattered because that was my friend. Like, that's the dude that if I didn't talk to him for six or seven months, I called him and he had the same number. All of a sudden, I would get a call and it'd be like, motherfucker, where you been? Like, we were really friends. Go to each other's house. Knew his moms, knew his pops, knew his brother Floyd, knew his sister, knew his daughter. Like, that was my friend. Stretch from Live Squad, God rest his soul, was my friend. Tupac was my friend. Even after we fell out, we were still friends. Like, that was real friendship. Why did you and Pac uh, fall out? Because Stretch got killed and he didn't come to Stretch's funeral and he was Stretch's uh, daughter's godfather and I was, the, I'm the other godfather. I'm her godfather now. And Pac was her godfather. And I felt like no matter what you felt, you have to understand that you got to put all of that behind you and y'all need to talk about things. He felt like Stretch took Biggie's side. Stretch just remained neutral. You know what I mean? As a New York dude. Yeah. People want you to take sides. Right. Very, very strongly. Right. People cut you off. I, I, I've seen it. I mean, you you, you see Right. It. Yeah. Yeah. So we kind of had a fallout because I cussed his ass out behind it. <laughs> Funny story is, Suge told me one time, you know the reason why I like you so much? I was on a, on a boat, like on, a, I think it was 4th of July. I was living in L.A. I was on one of Suge's yachts. He was like, you know I fuck with you? I said, why, Suge? Because you stepped the pot. Right in the middle of the motherfucking MTV video music was after party and cursed that nigga out and you know we could have beat your ass and you didn't give a fuck. I said, well, I walked in like a man, I walk out like a man. He said, I told man Lena, he said, you didn't come with no crew, nothing. You came and you said what you had to say to that motherfucker and you turned around and walked off. My boys wanted to whoop your ass, but I was like, nah, he came in like a fucking man. I respect men that handle their business like a man. That's how I handled it. That was my stretch was my heart, dog. I'm the I'm the one that they bought their demo tape to. I'm the one that took them and 
got them they deal with Tommy Boy. I gave the, the tape to I let Latifah hear it when she came to uh your TV raps and Latifah set the meeting up with us with Tom Silverman and all. all yeah, unfortunately, they got caught up in that cop killer shit with yes, Ice T and yeah. everybody. Yeah, you know, yeah, yeah, everybody in the label got kind of cleared out that had records about killing cops. That's what a lot of squad. You know, they were from the street for real, so you know that's what their music reflected what they really lived. So. Unfortunately, they got caught up, but then him and Pac got cool. He was with Pac when Pac got laid down in the studio. And um, after Pac got shot, and uh, it just, everything unraveled from there. He felt like dudes didn't come and see him. and You know, but them dudes are street dudes. They didn't even have IDs. Like, Stretch used to drive his car around with no license. Like, you didn't need a license yeah. back in the days. It was it was a lot different. So, you know, those are friends, real friends of the, of the industry that I really loved. Top one's another one. God rest, rest his soul. He just just passed away, and uh, you know those are really my friends, like for real. Everything else is just like associates, high and by. But I just don't, I don't dick rod, man. It just ain't me. You know, it's it's crazy you say that because it's 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 easier said than done for a lot of people. Um, you know, I I feel you a thousand percent. A lot of people um, don't know how to act, and then unfortunately, when you know. When you become a, a person who's doing things, mm -hmm. you don't know who's really your friend. That's right. Some people just go along with it. How hard was it for you to to stay true to yourself? You you always been, but meaning like I'm sure there was, I'm sure there was moments in time where you um you were like yo I'm hanging out with people that I never like you know what I mean like you yeah. trying to get money and 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 nicer cars and your life changed. But my friends have always been my friends. Okay, my friends could tell you that. Like some of my friends were just here for um. They just came to town a little while ago. They were here for Brewfest. Okay. They came to town to visit me. These are the same guys I've been with for 30 years. Nothing changed. Whenever, if I moved, they moved. If I was going, you know, hey, when Cancun was popping, when Chris Light, when yeah, Chris yeah. Latimer had it going, yeah. they were they were with me in Cancun. So it's always been the same thing. I never felt compelled to have to be in the Hamptons because everybody's sure. in the Hamptons. Fuck the Hamptons. Those, they, you know what I mean? Unless Puff invite me to a party. Now, me and Puff been cool A1 from day one. Yeah. You know, I love hanging out with Puff. That's different. If Puff say, hey, Ed, I'm having this party, come to my all-white party in the Hamptons. I'm like, yeah, all right, Puff, I'm going to come. But I'm bringing my boys. Sure. You know what I mean? I never felt compelled, like, I got to spend my money to rent some ridiculous house in the Hamptons because that's what everybody else is doing. Sure. So I just kept my feet planted on the ground. I'm from Queens, man. That's how I do. Brooklyn and Queens. That's right, both. Well, you know, B, Brooklyn Queens. <laughs> B -K B -Q -E, right? You know, a lot of people will get into, uh, 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 you know, your story, career, your journey, but more importantly, you think about it. You know, people know, like with Tupac, right? People know that you know. Okay, you tell a story that you know you didn't talk to him, you curse him out, but for people listening, I mean, so many people talk about Pac. You know, you were around him. You know, what is something maybe people don't know? I mean, like what type he of heart was, he had? You know, like, the, the heart. I look at Tupac like a torn soul, Yeah. right? On the one hand, Pac really, really, really wanted to help his people um, elevate and evolve, right? As he was, he was there. He's the he's the son of a Black Panther, so he sees the atrocities and the things that have been happening to us at the hands of the police and the system from generations. Like that was who he was. But on the other hand, he enjoyed the celebrity life. Mm. He enjoyed the women. He enjoyed the weed. Oh, we know he loved some weed. He loved the weed, and he loved to make money, but he did understand that he could help us better by having money. You know, and, and I just feel like one thing that people don't understand about Tupac, 
he made mistakes. He was young. He was young. And whenever you look at it, remember his age and remember that he wasn't at the level that he would be at now. At right now, would he be in his 40s? Mm-hmm. He'd be a whole different man. He was a kid. And when you're a kid, you make mistakes. I made a lot of mistakes. Pac made a lot of mistakes. It was just mistakes. And the, unfortunately, he didn't get a chance to correct some of those mistakes. But stop looking at this dude like he's a martyr, like he's Jesus Christ sure. that's never made mistakes. He made mistakes. He was a wonderful artist. One of my favorites of all time, without a doubt, and probably yours too. But he, in his personal life, he made mistakes because he was a kid. He was a kid. Talented motherfucker. Yeah, extremely talented. You know, let's go, let's go back for a second. You know, you spoke about your pops, your moms. and Let's get to a point where here you are. Like, what did my mom, mom and pops work for the phone company? What do you think they wanted you to do? Um... They want you to work for a corporate they, yeah, company. Yeah, they did want me to do. Uh, they they did want me to do. Um, you know, when I grew up, a good job was like working for the city. Yeah, like if you get to see, you know, Pete, you're sure from you from Brooklyn. Sure, you work. Yeah, my wife worked there thirty years. Retired, that's right. And, you know, Th- that's what they you had. Know, a pension, that, right. Yeah. That's what what they wanted for me. Get a job. Like my brother was a New York City police officer for yep. twenty five years. I worked at school safety. That's what they wanted me to do. It's a civil job. You get your check. You, you know, they believed in the American dream. They really, because they bought that house that sure. we grew up in for $20,000. And it was only a $200 a month mortgage. And with four kids, they still struggled to meet that every month, you know? So they wanted that dream. Buy yourself a house, find you a good woman, get married, settle yeah. down, buy a nice house yeah. out here, or go out to Long Island. You know, Man. Long Island's supposed to be the shit, right, Pete? Yeah. Move to Long Island, have a nice home. Five have a nice Yeah. But they understood that music was always such a huge part of who I was. But where did that come from? Did um, it come from pops in the house? Music in the house. Okay. Music in, and from me being in the band. Okay. When I was a kid. When I was a kid, we started off with the little recorder. Looked like a flute. It was okay. plastic and you learned to play the recorder and I just was in the band. Every freaking band. I was a trumpet player for most of my life and I was just in the band and then when hip hop came around, it just captured my whole heart, man. It's it captured my heart and soul, and I started doing it. Mm-hmm. Because I used to get the tapes. I used to get the tapes. I tell Melly Mel this story all the time. I used to get the tapes from my cousin. My cousin lived in the Bronx and in Harlem. And when we visit them, they would always have the tapes. And, you know, they would have the tapes from whatever, um, Kumo D versus Busy B, mm-hmm. Cold Crush. And I would start learning these routines. And I'm being the only kid around my way that had these tapes. I would pass these rhymes off for mine. Like, I heard um, Curtis Blow's went to, uh, I came to earth like a meteorite to rock you all on the mic. All of that stuff to them in my neighborhood were my rhymes. Yeah, yeah. And then when that stuff started expanding around the city and they realized, and I tell Mel this story all the time, I heard Melly Mel on a tape do the rhyme from uh, Child is Born with No State of Mind. I heard that way before he even put that on the message. Mm. Before it was ever on the record, he Class. did it at some party, and I memorized it, 
Went to school. They banging on the lunchroom table, and everybody's saying their little hip hop, Scooby Doo, whoop 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 whoop, wop wop, do not wop, throw your hands in the air. And I jump in there, and I got yo, I got a rhyme, and they looking at me, go Eddie D, go Eddie D, and I'm like, yo, a child is born with no state of mind, blind to the waist, and they like, oh shit, that's incredible. No, nah, that wasn't mine. That was Melly Mel's. <laughs> so from there, I just developed rhyming and freestyling, and then. My friend was a DJ. I grew up in an era where the DJ was the most sure, important sure, thing absolutely. ever. You know that, absolutely. Pete. There were sound systems all around Brooklyn. There were sound Technique systems. Exactly. All around Queens. Serwin Vega amps. Serwin Vega speakers. And I was part of a crew called Master Sound. And there was guys that I looked up to. One guy that was in my neighborhood was the name of Woody Wood. Um, there was King Charles. There was Eddie Chiba. Used to get the Chiba. These are um, not uh, Busy B. Um, Hollywood, DJ Hollywood, mm-hmm. used to get Hollywood's tapes, and these were the DJs, and then they had MCs, and there was a guy named KC, the Prince of Soul, they used to rock with Reggie Wells, and I admired all of these dudes, and I patterned myself after, like, being the same kind of rappers that they were, and I just started rapping, and rap just, it was rap and playing the trumpet in a top 40 band. It, those are my two things, and I was always known as one of the best guys in the neighborhood. Mm-hmm. Did you have a job uh, at all? Did you ever have Hell no, I was in school, bro. But no, like after school job or yeah, no, of, of course we, route yeah, of or... course we all had the paper route. We all did the flyers. Yeah. We all bagged groceries. Yep, 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 yep. You know, at the at the local market, we Wall all bombs. did that. Yeah, all of that, man. We did. Everybody did the same shit. It was always a little hustle, but if for me, being in that band, that top forty band, we were so young and we used to play clubs, and that's how I used to put a little bit of change in my pocket. From being in and a you top used to forty, split man. it all together. Yeah, I, that didn't cause no arguments. Never. Okay. Never. Like some of those guys are still some of uh, my best friends to this day. Mm. You know, we all started started in for me. It started in like seventy seven, man. Damn. My first year of high school, I was playing trumpet in a top forty band. I was playing music in school, and I was in a top forty band outside of school. And what was you went by? Air Lover at that time. I went by. Damn, I went through so many names. Shit. I probably was. What was the first? What was the first name you went? To? Daddy Cool. <laughs> Where did this come from? I don't know, man. It was just like I thought it was fucking you no fire. Daddy. I wasn't no daddy, but I thought I was a cool daddy. I was Daddy Cool. Then I was Eddie D. Eddie D. For a very Shout long time. Eddie D. The only person that still calls me Eddie D. is Chuck D. From Public Enemy. <laughs> I don't funny. even know why he still calls me Eddie <laughs> D. Um, Eddie D. And then when I was in the band, my one of my bandmates, our lead singer, Shy. His uncle Herm dubbed me Sir Ed the First because mm. it was kind of we were like a funk band, so it was kind of like that Parliament Funkadelic thing, and I was Sir Ed the First. Mm. And then and then and then Ed Lover. Okay, and, and Ed Lover that, that, that stuck like a motherfucker. Did Did you like it though? I loved. I came up with it. Yeah, I was I was uh, getting ready to audition for Young TV Raps. The late great Ted Demi told me that they needed a daily show. He explained to me that Fab felt. Like, he didn't want to be overexposed. Fat Five Freddy. Freddy, The the guy who is one of the the legendary Fat Five Freddy, right? Didn't want to do the Daily Show because he felt he would be overexposed. So Ted said, um, you know, I had been bugging him already because I knew Ted. I knew Ted from Ted in college, high school, everything. I knew Ted Demi because his father was an Episcopalian, part of the Episcopalian uh, archdiocese in New York City, and so was my best friend's mother. So when we used to go on these religious retreats, Ted would hang out with us. And Ted was the coolest fucking white boy I'd ever met in my life that knew shit about rap like I did. Like, 
he loved hip hop the same way I did. So we would always hang out together. You know, we drink communion wine, smoke weed, doing whatever the fuck we was doing as Dairy. kids. Yeah, just wild on religious retreats, mind you. And um, when when I saw Yo come on TV, I started bugging Ted. I saw his name on the credits. And I was like, that cannot be the same Ted Demi I know from Long Island. And my best friend Kurt was like, yeah, that's Ted. So I started bugging Ted about doing record reports, about something that had to do with the music. And Ted was like, no, nah, Ed, we good, but you can come down and watch us film. So when he knew that they looked for a spinoff, he called me. The late, great Peter Doherty called Dr. Dre, and Ted put me and Dre together. But you never met Dre. Ne- never knew Dre. I used to listen to Dre sometime on, on the radio because yep. he was at Adelphi University in Long Island. I was in Queens, so, you know, we didn't have the super antennas then. You had to get sure, your antenna sure, right sure, sure. To, to pick up Adelphi. Foil. Yeah, to pick up Adelphi radio. So that's where I knew Dre from there, and I knew, you know, I knew, um, I knew about, you know, what he was doing with original concept and stuff like that. So the first time you met him, how was that? It was cool. amazing. Yeah, yeah, he was. He cool was cat? I, I always tell Dre he had like a little bit of a cocky attitude okay. because he was already established. He was the Beastie Boys a tour DJ, yep, and yep. you know he had original concept. You know he had helped write stuff for Run DMC off the Raising Hell album and all that. So he's already sitting in the room when I come in the room. He's waiting to audition, and I'm waiting to audition separately from him. And he goes, yeah, man, what's up? I'm Dr. Dre. And I was like, yeah, all right, hey, how you doing? I'm like, I don't give a fuck. <laughs> you know, I didn't know who he was. I never met him before. I never saw him. I just I didn't remember the front of the original Concepts album. So it was kind of cool for me to meet Dre. So I auditioned, Dre auditioned, and then Ted said, let me see what you two look like together on tape. You kind of got this Laurel and Hardy vibe. And we bounced off each other immediately mm. on tape. It was just, like, perfect. And Ted said, that's what I want. I want a different aesthetic than Freddie being by himself. Since it's a studio show, sure. I want you to. And that's how Ed Lever and Dr. Dre, and Dr. Dre was formed. Yeah. Now, did you just get hired, like, right away? Or you had a, like, you had it a wasn't. Wait? It was a little bit of a waiting period. But I remember Ted calling me and said, hey, MTV said I could go with the two guys, but they only got $1,000 for a, a week for a host. Would you, you had to split? Or? Yeah, would you split it? I was like, absolutely. And he was cool with that? Yeah, thing? because we didn't know, we didn't have a contract. We yeah. didn't know how long it was going to last. We didn't know Young TV Rats was going to turn out to be what it was. It was just, all right, let's ride this thing out while we have the opportunity, you know? And it's over, what, the 30, uh, didn't it? Yeah, the 30-year anniversary. 30. But, yeah. but you guys did production uh, for, for how long, you know? Wow. Uh, 10, 15, 20? Oh, like six, six, seven years of Young yeah. TV Rats? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, if you count that and the amount of and the, shows. And, and then they replay a lot of it uh, on MTV? Sometimes. Yeah. I mean, you catch little clips every now Get and then. Get a little then. coin. <laughs> Nothing. Not dividends like mom Nothing. Nothing, damn. Pete. Nothing. Now, did you ever, okay, did they, you know, I, 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 I talk to a lot of different people. I sit down with so many, like, you know, whether it be millionaires, billionaires, I've sat down with. One thing I've learned is how do you go from making, like where they say, you okay with making $500 a week, you split 1000 to then, going higher than that because sometimes i feel like when people bring you in like say if somebody go hey would you host this for 500 you're like oh i get like ten thousand. right if you take it for a thousand it's hard for you to get right get back to that ten thousand. right what were they did they ever give you a a, oh yeah 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 it was uh two people the first person was like i told you dre had those relationships and we figured out we needed management yep so we went to rush associated okay okay and at the same time, I have to backtrack a little bit. Russell had Rush Associated labels. Rush Management, right? Right, yeah. We was in Rush Management. Okay. Rush, run, 
Russell and Leo had Rush Associated labels. My group that I was in that evolved from Oasis 2 to the Function Freaks mm -hmm. evolved into a group called No Face. Okay. So that was me, Mark, and Shot, and we put a record out, a parody of the Jungle Brothers record. That um, Bro, house yeah, we did we did hump music, yeah. and Great Broadway put the record out, and we were doing shows in all of the house music clubs around the country, and we were doing okay. And Russell saw that and gave us No Face Records. So we had bitches with problems on there, and mm -hmm. then we was gonna sign the Live Squad, but we signed I signed them separately to Tommy Boy, and so when we had that. And I was already in there with Lior and Russell as my manager. Lior Cohen walked in and got us paid. Really? Yeah. Lior did what, first. What, what did he just say? Like, he yo. knew what they were charging per commercial. Sure. He walked in with them because we were not under contract. We had no dressing room or nothing. Dre and I used to step because you shot all of your own TV raps in one day. Yeah. So we were just, and I kept my job school security for a long time. Really? Yeah, because your own TV raps was only one day. I had no security. I had no contract. I had a job. So I wasn't going to quit my job and don't know what MTV is going to be. I had no contract day with MTV. Day job fueled the dream drive. <laughs> exactly. And so Russell, you said Leo. Leo walked in and got us our very first contract and our very first payday. Mm. We went from. $500 a week apiece to a quarter million dollars a year. God damn, motherfucker. And then Charles Stetler, when we got tired of being in that shuffle of what Rush Associated labels sure. were, it was too many acts, we left them and we met the Fat Boys old manager, Charles Stetler, and he just took us to a place we could have never imagined. So so you, so this, man, that's crazy, man. The journey, you, it's crazy, man. You're still out here living your journey, man. Yeah. Um. Now, now, you and Dr. Dre become uh, friends. Yeah, more, more than more than just. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, it's my boy. Yeah. it's like being married. You become friends. When did uh, Who's the Man come along? Nineteen ninety three. Okay, so I, I was in L. A. and I was sitting in my hotel room, and I know I wanted to do a movie. I just knew I Dre and I needed to be on the screen, and I started writing this concept of me and Dre being two bumbling cops, kind of like Laurel and Hardy style. And I took it to Dre. I went to his room. I said, yo, man, what do you think about this, about me and you, like, working in a barbershop and then becoming police officers? Because my brother was a cop. Sure. And I was, like, uh, being police officer. He's like, yo, that's dope, but we could do this, we could do that. Let's do this, let's do that. We took it to Charlie. Charlie took it to New Line. New Line assigned Suzanne to pass on to it and got Seth Greenberg to write it. And then Seth would, because I didn't know nothing about writing a script, Seth would write it, and then he would bring it back to us. And we told New Line that we were not doing that movie unless Ted directed it. Mm. Because Ted had had some direct, he had did short film and stuff like that, and he was directing at MTV. But Who's the Man was his first feature film as a director. And he was the nephew of Jonathan Demme. And, and and yeah, I mean that's classic. And yeah. you, and you got paid as a uh, not only as an actor in it, right? Yeah, you were able to get some credit. Yeah, 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 yeah. Producer and, credit because there was a lot of people on there. Who who else was on there? Oh my you? god! I, mean, I remember so many different artists beyond there as well. We had Bustin and Eliza New School. Yeah, Heavy D for sure. Yep. Uh, Apache. Yeah. Um, Guru. Classic. K KRS One. And what uh, you, you salt and them pepper. Up or you had them. We just reached just out to whoever yeah, we wanted. Yeah. Like Ted and and the, and the you know and the staff took care of that man. But I knew from the time that I saw Def Comedy Jam that that Bernie Mac had to be in that movie. Yeah, yeah. I was like, we ain't not doing this movie without Bernie Mac. Bill Bellamy was a friend. Yeah. 
for a long time. So we we went and got Bill. You know, Bowlegged Lou from Full yeah, Force yeah. was in that movie. Kicking some ass. Yeah, Coogee uh, yeah. rap. Yeah, Polo yeah. was in there. Yeah, it was it was just like so. Run DMC with Jam Master Jay was in the movie. Bushwick Bill, rest in peace, rest was in, in peace. the movie. Moni Love was in the movie. Ice T was in the movie. We had so many freaking Fuck. people in that Internet, movie, man. Have you never seen Who's the Man? Crisscross okay. was in the movie. Man, man. We man. had Crisscross in the movie. And 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 but it was a big budget. Yo yo was in the movie. Okay, yo yo slapped the shit out of me in that movie. Uh, okay. No, that movie was not a big budget movie at all, at all. But it, I think we did that movie for less than two million. Yeah. But we drain. I got paid handsomely for it. Yeah. But it was just a pleasure to shoot in Harlem, the mecca of everything black in America and in the world. And just to have all of your f- hip-hop friends come out and just sure. do a little something. And not, you know, play themselves. Just a little acting role here, a little acting role there for somebody. You know, your MTV raps, what would you say is uh, some of your best moments? You remember, like, James Brown. Sh- okay. Two. Yeah. James Brown, because James Brown's the foundation of hip-hop. Mm-hmm. The most sampled artist in hip-hop history is James Brown. So to do a week worth of shows with James Brown, for me, was everything. And Bill Cosby. I don't care what Bill Cosby's gone through now. He's in prison. Um, Bill Cosby was always good to me. And just, I was a fan of Bill Cosby's from I Spy, Fat Albert and the Cosby Kids, stand-up comedy albums that my parents used to allow me to listen to because he was clean compared to Richard Pryor. Um, And I was always a fan of Bill Cosby. And to have Bill Cosby call me at MTV looking for me specifically. And I remember Eddie Murphy saying, Bill Cosby only calls you for two reasons. Either he likes what you're doing or he wants to tell you that he thinks you're embarrassing black people. So for me to have to call back to his, to Silver Cup Studios and I asked for, I said, somebody called me from the Cosby show. It's the biggest, the, the number one show in the world. And the lady go, oh, is this Ed Love? I said, yes, Ed Love. Oh yeah, hold on, Mr. Cosby want to talk to you and put me on hold. <laughs> and the next voice I heard was Bill Cosby's. He's like, hey, Bill. Yeah, he's like, Ed Lover, hey, this is Bill Cosby, man. Listen, I got a daughter, and my daughter be in the office, man, and she just watches the yo raps thing that you guys are doing, man, and I just come into my office, man, and I'm looking at you, man, and you got this hat on, and you got these glasses with tape in the middle of them, man, and I say, yeah, that's a character I do, Mr. Cosby. No, call me Bill. I say, yeah, it's a character, Bill, that I do called Perry J. Periwinkle III. He said, yeah, man, I'm looking at that thing, man. I just started cracking up, and I'm laughing, and my daughter is like, Dad, you need to go on the show. And I'm like, hey, can I, Ed, can I come on your own TV raps? I'm like, yes. He said, you set that thing up, man, and you have me on your show, I'll have you on my show. And it's just like that. And he came down, and everybody from the top of Viacom at that time came down to that studio because Bill Cosby was coming. And they dressed up the green room with all of this and all of these extra chairs and tables and linens and chandeliers because they expected snacks and food yeah, everything that we never got yeah real for bill cosby and he's running a little late and he called his assistant called and said mr cosby is running a little late he'll be there shortly and we all got the front blocked off with orange cones because they expected this big ass limousine to come up and i remember standing out there using my phone and a cab pulled up and he jumped out by himself mm. i was like oh shit by himself mm. That was one of the highlights, man, doing a week worth of shows with Bill Cosby, man. Man, that's legendary. Yo, Ed, man, 
Yo, for people who know your journey, where, where's Miss Jones, man? Where, where's Ms. I don't know. You know what? I I people have revisionist history, mm. right? And um, a lot of people will not. I don't know for some reason. I don't argue with them. It's the way they see it and the way I know things happen. Miss Jones got her start in radio by being a guest on me and Dre's show on mm-hmm. Hot 97. We liked her so much, we used to have her come back. Fat Man Scoop's another one. Mm. Fat Man Scoop, I thought, was hilarious. He used to always carry this bottle of scope with him. Mm-hmm. And he'd go, dynamite, brother, right on, brother, right on, dynamite. And I used <laughs> to say, Scoop, why do you always carry that scope? Brother, you got to be fresh, brother. You never know. I'm a record rep. I'm in a lot of people's face. I can't be tart. I got to be fresh. We gave, we gave, I love Scoop. So I had Scoop start doing stuff for right on, brother, dynamite, solid gold. And we just played them drops because I just thought his energy and his personality was amazing. Um, I read her book couple of things that Angie and I do need to discuss that I feel like she threw me under the bus on one thing, and that was the Tupac interview that she did. Never happened that way. I never called Puffy and told Puffy to, about uh, what Pac said about him, and then Puff went and called Steve Smith, and they yanked the interview. That never happened. I caught a lot of shit behind that, too, mm. from people tell, on the you internet. Did tell what happened? I, I, it didn't happen that way. Yeah. Why would I do that? I sent my boy in her book. She says Ed let his boy Big Spatch go with me to California because I've never been to California before. Why would I do that and then go against what my friend said sure. about something else? I had no horse in that race. I didn't give a fuck about Pac being mad at Puff. That had nothing to do with me. So that part of it was wrong. And she also got it wrong when she said that Steve Smith heard her and brought her back. No, she was doing overnights. I told Steve Smith, you have to listen to Angie Martinez Mm. because our lineup did not reflect the music. You can't have a lineup of, and nothing against them, but you can't have Paco and Deborah Rath on a hip-hop station and have Angie Martinez overnight. Angie was hip-hop. So I told Steve, look, we did our first um, hot uh, summer jam. Mm. And we, when he introduced everybody, everybody knew that Lisa G was the white girl with the radio experience mm-hmm. for me and Dre's show. But me and Dre reflected hip-hop. Then you had... Paco, I can't remember his last name. Come on. He's got on cowboy boots and a hot 97 hockey jersey tucked into his pants. That doesn't reflect the station. Then you had Deborah Raff. She was great. She's a great radio personality, but she didn't reflect the music or the station because they didn't live it. And then you got a star like Angie Martinez doing overnights. And then you had Flex. And I was the one that told Steve, you need to grab that girl. First of all, she's Latino. And we got a big-ass Latino audience, okay? Grab that girl from overnight, shuffle this shit up, and put her on in prime time, and then go get Wendy. That's how we got Wendy and Angie and all that. Yeah. Mm, mm. That happened because of me. Talk about it. Did you, uh, you, you, you did a lot of radio stations, man. I mean, I, Yeah, I, I've been on enough of them, shit. I mean, I mean <laughs> Hot 97, uh, what, what was uh, your best memory from there? Hot 97 was um, DMX. Um, TLC, uh, TLC showed up right after Left Eye burnt down Andre Rising's house, and they told me that I couldn't mention it. And I told them, "Well, you better tell TLC to go ahead, because I have a, <laughs> I have, I have an obligation to the audience. Mm. The the uh, I think part of the success of my career in radio has been that they know me, they know when my kids were born, they heard me cry on the radio, they heard." When Biggie died, they, they you know, it's a video running around of me interrupting the Nas concert to tell everybody that Pac had passed. 
um, they knew me for real. Like, I didn't put on a radio voice. I am what I am. If I don't feel good, you know I don't feel good. If I'm happy, you know I'm happy. If I'm sad, you know I'm sad. If I'm joyous of just having my first son, you know that. So having that kind of relationship with the audience means if Left Eye comes in, I have to ask you about burning down Andre Rises' house. Now, you can say no comment because of legalities, and sure. I'm a, but don't tell me not to answer sure. the question. Sure, did they? Did, they didn't come? They came in, and, you, and, and I said, why you burn that man's house down? Mm-hmm. And she had the opportunity to go, come on, Ed, you know I can't answer that legally because of, I'm going through the court system and all. I'm like, all right, but tell me about your relationship with him. Mm-hmm. And then she answered honestly. Yeah. You, but you can't tell me not to answer the, ask the questions. The same thing that one time I had an interview with Janet Jackson when Mike was going through the whole shit. They said, no questions about Michael Jackson. I said, I'm not doing an interview then. And I did the first thing that she sat down, I said, how's your brother? Mm. Because when it's all said and done, I'm not going to ask you about the specifics of the case, Janet. But when it's all said and done, I have a sister and I have two brothers. That's your brother. Fuck the superstar shit that we see. That's your brother. Like, that's your brother, Michael. Like, is he okay? And she was like, yeah, I talked to Michael. He just wanted to send his love and blessings out to everybody. And I started asking questions. Like, do y'all have barbecues? Like, do the Jackson family just get together cook and be out. like, yeah, cook out and drink liquor and play? She's like, we play spades crazy. Like, that's the kind of stuff that you that you don't think when it comes to a relationship between a brother and a sister. It's just a regular relationship like everybody else's. So having to opportunity to talk to TLC the first time X ever came to the station. He had three fucking pit bulls running around the damn radio station. I'm standing up on top of the desk like, bruh. Bruh. (laughs) He had Boomer with him. The dog name that's on Boomer was with him. Boomer! Sit down! You know, he's wilding. X and (laughs) just a host of of Lauren Hill, man, watching her evolve. Um, Pun. But what did people, you know, here's the thing. Joe, Joe's the only uh, one that always, Fat, Fat Joe, Joe is one of my favorite people of all time. Because yeah. Fat Joe, the way Chuck says Eddie D, Fat Joe says my entire name every time we talk. Like if I'm interviewing Joe, Joe go, they don't know Ed Lover. Ed Lover, I be telling them Ed Lover. Like even when he see me, hey, Ed Lover, Ed Lover, what are y'all doing? He never says Ed. It's always the entire name. I love me some Joe, man. Joe, you talk about longevity. That's yeah. another one. And talk about, you know, the. Yeah, long- he's amazing. <clears throat> and know, he is not to be fucked with. Absolutely not, man. Ter- Terror Squad. <laughs> yes, uh, bro. When he came out and called himself Fat Joe the Gangster, I think people think that that Fat Joe the Gangster was just a name. Joe is not to be fucked with. Mm. I've seen him put it down mm. on certain artists in the industry who shall remain nameless. Because I don't want to embarrass you, but y'all know what I'm talking about. Some of y'all got into beats with Fat Joe, and it didn't turn out good for you. Mm, mm, mm. You know, uh, when you when you, when you talk about artists coming up not wanting to talk about certain things, the program director ever tell you, like, yo, Ed, you got to do this? Or, Ed, you got I mean, because you're like, yo, if they ain't talking, they could bounce. Yeah. Did the program director say, yo, Ed? No. You know, never? No. Because you can see that happening, right? Yeah, like, yeah, yo, yeah. Ed, like, listen, just do the interview. Yeah, yeah, stick to this because we need this and yeah. we need that. No. I, I was just like, okay, let Dre Elisa do it. I'm not doing it. Mm. How, hard, how hard is it? Uh, a couple things. How hard is it, you know, you've been on radio in a lot of different cities. How hard is it uh, when it ends? Because morning shows don't regularly last. Think about the Breakfast Club. Oh, yeah. Oh, shit. 
It's almost like seven, eight years right yeah. now. That's not normal. That's not normal. For, for a morning show. Yeah. How hard is that, like, in the back of your mind, do you think of, like, damn, man, like, the salary is good, and I'm enjoying it, and I love what I do, but it may be ending. So you ever feel yeah. that way? Like, yeah. Yeah. Is you it always, hard to, like, live yeah, like Yeah, you always got to look at it like that, that, that it could end, and you could be you could be moving on. That's just the nature of it. I think um, Hot 97 for me was my decision. I left. Mm. Um, I left because at the time they wouldn't, uh, my son is on the phone. Hold on, let me, let, right. me, let, me get, let me get, look at him. Zaire, yeah. What, yeah. I'm podcasting, bro. I'm gonna call you back. Oh, my bad. All right, later. <laughs> my boy. Um, That's classic. It's uh. Hot 97 didn't, did, yeah, shout out to Z. It didn't hurt because I left because they wouldn't guarantee my contract. I have been working on a guaranteed contract for a lot of years. What does that mean for people? Who, uh, that means I get my money no matter what happens. Okay, for like how many years they signed it for? Uh, two years, three years. Okay. You know, and they um, you know why they wouldn't guarantee I don't know. It was they, at this point, they had let Dre go. Um, and then I was about to re sign, and I was like, okay, it's got to be guaranteed because if y'all change the format, or whatever happens, I need to know I'm getting paid. Sure, absolutely. It doesn't matter. I'm like, I feel like I'm a basketball player. I need a guaranteed deal, right? So they wouldn't do it. So I went to LA. LA gave me a guaranteed deal. And then I stayed in LA for a little over well, I had a two year deal in LA and I stayed in LA um until they sold a damn station. And then Radio One bought it and then bought in Steve Harvey, but they still had to honor my contract. I had another year left on my deal. Mm-hmm. And then I came back to power and I had another guarantee. Yeah. That one hurt me. Yeah, why? Because I put that station, I gave that station integrity. Absolutely. They were jamming 105. They mm-hmm. were an old school Luther Vandross yep. playing, and they brought us back for integrity, and I gave them the integrity that they needed, the integrity that they wanted, the integrity that they had to have in order to make a mark in New York City. And I worked my ass off for Power 105. And to be unceremoniously let go for no other reason than they kept saying, and uh, Cadillac Jack McCartney was the program director there. Yeah. And we would have meetings, and he was like, we got to get younger, we got to get younger. And I'm like, Jack, I can't get no younger, bro. I am what I am. What does my numbers reflect? We're never out of the top five. What's the problem? But after a while, I found out what it really was. It, it was a downturn in the market. And I hate to say it, people, you know, I keep it 100% real. The black man who was making $800,000 a year had to go. Sure. But Elvis Duran is older than me, but he could yeah. still sit at Z100 and talk to 12 plus every day, and I can't talk to 18 to 34. Yeah. And then you brought in the breakfast club. You implemented everything that I said to you. Mm. Everything that I told you about putting cameras in the studio, now you do for the breakfast club. And nothing against him because Charlemagne always speaks with respect and admiration for me, and I have the same for him. Mm. Nothing against Angela Yee, nothing against Envy, nothing against Charlemagne. But collectively, I don't know what they make now. Collectively, when they first started, they weren't making collectively what I was making by myself. And it's just fucked up that you could see the trend and what was going on, and I didn't have an opportunity to say goodbye to the audience after I'd been there since you flipped the station. I got escorted out of the building like I wasn't shit. Yeah. That hurt my feelings. I that hurt. I sat with G Spin. Yeah, G Spin's my man. And I remember G Spin telling me, and, and and I'll tell you, I I know G Spin for a while, but one thing I could see is that that dude uh, is very heartfelt. Yeah. That shit he explained. I wish I gotta find that clip, but he explained how that hurt him. 
and he came. You, you, he came, was coming up the villa. You were walking out, and he's, yeah, he's and and and, you, and you're looking at him, and he's like, "That's not the way it should have went." That's down. right. You they know? didn't even let me clean out my office. Like my office was directly across from Cadillac Jacks. They boxed all my stuff up and sent it to my house. Like they had. So why would the, they? Why would they, they had the. I, I don't know. Like I don't understand why. I why a lot of times we get this thing like we're gonna explode. Like I'm gonna fuck something up. Or whatever, like the oh, get the black man out of the building. I felt like shit, man. And I have never. This is the first time I've ever. I told this story before, but it's the first time I've expressed how it really hurt me as a human, man. Because Power One Hundred Five ain't shit without me and Dre mm. coming back to that station. Mm. It ain't shit. They're not where you are right now. You're not making the moves that you're making right now. And to just be that nasty and disrespectful, to take my key card, to escort me out of the building, you I understand now why some people go postal. Because you put your heart and soul into a company that doesn't have their heart and soul inside you. Sure. When you ask me, do I think it's a good idea for you to bring Stone Buck Wild to Power 105? I said, sure. Sure, I'll go to afternoons, but you made sure that you kept me under contract for afternoons and mornings, right? When I brought Oprah to the damn radio station, mm. the first time she'd ever done terrestrial radio, happened? Jamie Foxx has always been my dude. I did the Jamie Foxx show. Jamie has been my dude from when I lived in L.A. for a long time. Jamie came up, and Oprah had this thing with her that she didn't like hip-hop. Remember, she had yeah, kind of yeah, like yeah. when they did Crash, she froze Ludacris out yeah, of the interview. Yeah. Um, she didn't interview Ice Cube for some reason, but she was getting ready to do her Legends thing, her Legends television show and all of that stuff. And Jamie was on the show, and I said, Jamie, you cool with Oprah and Gayle King, right? And he said, yeah. I said, tell Oprah to come through. Like, she needs to sit down and, and tell his audience about how she really feels. And he was like, yeah, I'll do that. And then one day, <laughs> unfortunately, my cousin had gotten killed, and I left. I was in the afternoons then at Storm Buck Wilds in the morning. And I left to go to early to go to his uh, wake and his funeral. And I get a call. My assistant at the time, my man D, gets the call and said, man, y'all got to come back here. Oprah's here. And I'm like, man, fuck out of here. Oprah, man, you believe that shit? D, hang up. They was playing, right? And they called back again and said, nah, man, Oprah Winfrey is here looking for Ed. And we were about four blocks away from the uh, radio station. I just jumped out, ran back to the station. I told D, bring the car back around, man, put it back in the garage. And I got there, the whole, like, lobby of the building we were in was going crazy and everybody was like, yeah, Oprah Winfrey just went upstairs. She had one security guy downstairs with an earpiece in his ear and I got upstairs and yeah, sitting in the green room was Oprah and she's like, where you at? I've been looking for you. What the and, fuck? And I were, you, like, were you like, yo, this is crazy. I was like, yo, this is crazy and I went in the studio and my board up at the time, I said, turn that music off. Mm. I set her up, got her headphones, I said, ladies and gentlemen, you're not going to believe who's in the studio. This is real. Start calling. Oprah Winfrey is here. And she's like, hey, y'all, hey, hey. <laughs> it was crazy, man. She's like, you get a radio station. You yeah, radio it was station. crazy. And, you know, the, to have done all of that, and then she wanted to do a show on hip-hop, and she wanted to do me live, like there's going to bring a camera crew and do my opinions and stuff live from, from inside of Power 105. They shut that down. Oh, Clear Channel don't want to do it, all of this. I'm like, man. And for me to put up with all of this shit, to do everything that y'all asked me to do, to keep you in the top five constantly, and because you want to go and get a younger audience, you just dismissed me like I never meant shit to Clear Channel, like I never meant shit to New York City, like I never meant shit to the radio station. That mm -hmm. hurt. Did you ever get a chance to uh, email them or text no. somebody? Or, no, or... I should have sued you motherfuckers for age yeah. discrimination is what yeah. I should have did. Yeah. 
But, you know, you get caught up in the moment. They give you a, uh, you know, they give you a nice little, resi- you know. Yeah, residual. Yeah, your little package. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, you sign right there and you don't read that you can't sue them and all of that other shit. I should have just got up and walked out and say, I'll see you motherfuckers in court. In court. That's what I should have did. You, you, you know, people don't realize you're a radio guy. Yeah. I mean, you're a lot of things, but you're a radio guy. Uh, how many years, you say? 30? Oh, about 30, yeah. Okay. Yeah. 30 years, right? People don't realize. Ed, you go through things, too. Yeah. You got to come in the morning. You got to go on another ra- you know, something somebody may pass away in your family. You got to come, "Hey, what's up, man? We we got tickets just, today." Yeah, it to just the, happened. To, to you know. It just happened as we sit time, here with, and, with, and and do this uh interview today. They just cremated my little brother, man. Todd Warren, um a name might not ring a bell with a lot of people, but he was a producer of uh Dish Nation. He's a producer of Young TV Raps with us mm-hmm. back when he was like 20, 21 years old. We did the Down With MTV video together. If you watch that video, that's Todd one and me that's doing all the rhyming about MTV. And he was my brother, man. It was like, that's the little brother I never had. We were roommates at one time. We were best friends. We talked all the time. And the only thing that gives me comfort right now is that we always said, you got to tell each other that you love him. You have to. And it's just the finality of him not being here anymore and that he died suddenly of a pulmonary embolism, and that's the same thing that killed Heavy, mm. and that's the same thing that killed his mom. Yeah, You know, so as a lesson, I think I take away from this, and I tell everybody all the time, gentlemen, we have to go to the doctor when we don't feel well. We just got to go because you never know what's wrong with you, and it's best to get in front of it, man. So you're right. It's hard. I had to get up this morning knowing that they cremated my brother in Atlanta today and come to work and do my job. Yeah. It's sometimes you got to put your feelings to the side I was an emotional wreck yesterday. Um, I mean, in church, you know, I, my my heart and soul and my belief is in nothing more than Jesus Christ and as my savior and a controller of all things. And I just, you know, my pastor told me he said, even if you went to heaven, he's in such a peaceful and tranquil place and said, Todd, come back. They wouldn't come back. Yeah. And I have to believe that in my heart because I believe in Jesus. So yeah. I'm good. Rest in peace to Todd One. Did you ever? Did you always like your voice? No. Because you have like a, an, a distinctive I'm not voice. Say, you have a distinctive yeah, voice. Yeah, the, the voice. Like when of, I hear you, I, yeah, if you, if I could be somewhere and people say, I didn't know that was you until I heard you say something. Yeah. You know, and, um, but I think I did because I remember my mom telling me I was in the first grade in PS 147 and I got tapped to be the ringmaster for the school circus. Mm. The school went all the way up to the eighth grade, so every grade had different acts. And I memorized everybody's, every act. And I'm, and I'm there in the first grade with a top hat on and tails, doing my ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, welcome to the PS 147 circus. And I knew everybody's act, and I didn't mess anything up. And my mother always says, you were born on, be on stage, and later on in life, your calling is going to be to teach the gospel of Jesus Christ. Mm, mm. Hey, listen, you, you've been continuing to do that. Whether that be through the street. I'm an evangelist, man. So if I don't keep God in there some way, I'm not doing my duty as a Christian, you know. So, you know, a lot of people get turned off by it. But, hey, you know, Todd, before Todd died, he had converted to Islam. Yeah. So he's still my brother. I still love him. You, you, ever, you ever been through an interview uh, that was terrible where you like and that you look back like, damn, man, I should have... Uh, I should have should have stared at different, or you. Like, I should have uh, stand. I should have stood on and asked some harder questions. Not only that, or just something like the the worst interview you ever feel like that. You're like, I oh. think I, you know, um, I don't think I've had a lot of bad bad interviews. I had a lot of people come in. 
that I didn't feel like I should have been interviewing in the first place. Because, you know, you they, they, they prop a lot of people up, man, real quick. And you can see that that's just a flash in the pan, and they're not going to be around for a long time. And I really didn't like to waste my time yeah. with a lot of interviews. One person that I, I had an early, early interview with um, that was always interesting to interview that I saw from the beginning was going to be really special was Beyonce and Destiny's Child. Yeah. Like, she just exuded talent. Yeah. And she's just one of the so nicest people. you like, oh, people. you're going to be something. Yeah. yeah. And Missy. Yeah. Okay, yeah. Missy was in a group called Sister. Mm. Um, and I could see when I met her over at Devontae's house from Jodeci, he lived in New Jersey, all the other girls were slim and shapely, and they were all running around just, trying to be around Dalvin mm-hmm. and and Devontae and Casey and JoJo, because Josie was fire. All of them was doing that. Missy was bigger. And she was downstairs in the basement studio with Timberland working, 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 working. And I was over there, and they, and we were introduced, and I was just astonished at how hard she was just working and knew her shit in the studio. And I remember telling her, and she, she says she remembers it. I told her, I said, this group might not work out for you, but you're going to be special. Mm. You got it. Mm. I don't know what it was about Missy that I saw it. I was like, you got it. Mm. You definitely got it. I mean, it. you you were right on that one. Yeah, you was. But and you, I, I've been wrong on shit. I hated Get At Me, dog. Really? Oh, my God. You know, uh, you when you walked in the room, I told you I hated the 03, 03 Bonnie and Clyde yeah, yeah, yeah. because I come from a no-biting era. Yeah. Well, so you, when DMX feel, came yeah. out with that, that was Get Off the Bozak by APMD. You yeah. didn't take somebody's beat and rhyme over a beat that another MC had already rhymed yeah. over. But yeah. I guess, you know, a time passed, like Puff said, I take hits from the 80s and yeah. make them sound so crazy, right? You know, so I know with 03 Bonnie and Clyde, Pac would have never allowed it. Yeah. That's why I don't like the song. Because yeah. you don't do that after he died and you know you can get over with it. He wouldn't let you do that shit. There's no fucking way, like... You know, there's a lot of people who owe their careers probably to the fact that Pac was not alive. Like, there's no way. Ja Rule would have had a career, but he wouldn't have been walking around with that fucking rag tied around his head looking like Pac. He was not having that shit. And I love Rule. Me and Rule from the same neighborhood, but I know what I'm talking about. And it was that dun 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 I just attributed that to Nick, Nat, Patty, Wag, give yeah, a dog a bone. And he was barking and shit. Yeah. I was like, what is this? <laughs> the fuck out of here, man, with this shit. And I and the Mike Kaiser, yeah, from Atlantic Records was a record rep for Lil Def Bert. Jam. Lil Bert came and played "Get At Me, Dog" and was like, "Hey, this shit is crazy." I was like, "That the fuck out of here with that shit, Kaiser? This shit is what's all that hurt, hurt? What's the deal? That's the end. I talk about dog. that. Yeah, I'm like this shit is whack. We had a hot '97 Hot Shots basketball team and we played a game in the Bronx and they put that shit on and the kids went crazy and I was like. When I met X, I said, I was wrong, bro. I was wrong about your record. Mm. Your record was fire, man. Yeah. He was fire. It was legendary, man. He's one of the greatest interviews I've ever had. Yeah. Oh, my God. Very him honest. And, him, ODB. Yeah. ODB was fucking phenomenal, man. And Red Man and Method Man are always fun to interview mm. because we don't interview. We we play the we play Jones on each other. We sure, snap. As sure, sure. soon as they sit down, we start snapping on each other. That's the whole I can't get nothing serious out of them two together. Cause we too busy talking about each other's heads, the size of your nose, your ears, your moms. That's all the fuck we do. So I love interviewing them. I love interviewing X, cause X X told me one time, uh, he came up to Power 105. This is a Power 105 interview. And uh 
he told me Tashira was with him, his first, uh, his son, Xavier, and his other child, his first, the one, the only woman he sure. was married to. And he told me, he said, the first time I ever met my wife, I told her I loved her, right, baby? And Tashira was sitting there, she said, yeah, you did. The first night you ever met me, you told me you loved me. He said, yeah, I told her I loved her. I said that to get the pussy, but then I realized I loved her. And I still got the pussy, though. <laughs> X, was, X was crazy. I said, I said, DMX, how'd you get here today, man? Because, you know, it's been all over the news. Your lights are suspended. You ain't supposed to be. I drove. Fuck that. He's saying this on the radio. <laughs> I bought a car. I got a car. I fucking drove my car. Fuck that. I'm driving my shit. I don't give a fuck. I'm like, X is, X is always <laughs> oh, been good, shit. man. Always been one no. of my favorite. ODB just came out the Hot 97, put the headphones on. He's drunk as shit. It's first thing in the morning. And I go, yo, we got the old dirty bastard from the Wu-Tang Clan here into, you know, uh, the, the one with the, I can't remember the name of the album. It was his first album, solo album. He just put it out, you know, and he hears the beat playing because we always play beds. We don't just talk dry. We play beds. He hears the bed playing and he starts fucking rhyming. Mm. And I'm trying to interview him. ODB, how you doing? I'm good to see from the prison. <laughs> While I'm trying to interview him, he's not paying shit attention to the questions I'm asking. He fucking just rhyming. And just let it go. Him and Eddie Griffin, and, and, and Eddie Griffin walks in with a six-pack of tall cans of Old English. And he's sitting there drinking fucking Old English. Oh my. At in the morning? 7 a.m. Fuck. Him and Eddie Griffin. And he hires a kite. He reeks of alcohol. He reeks of marijuana. Oh, my God. It's a classic interview, man. I wish we had those kind of cameras in those days to capture that man, shit. Man, 4K cameras. Yeah, absolutely. That. that shit was amazing. Yo, when, when you think about uh, uh, Ed Lover, right, and mm-hmm. about Dr. Dre, right, both of y'all, you know, have done a lot of things together. Mm-hmm. Then there came a point, right, where... You guys, did you always have like a great relationship, or was there like ups and downs? There's you always, a, it, it, for a yeah. While? When you're when you in that kind of relationship with somebody, there's always going to be ups and downs. There's always going to be uh, arguments or disagreements. Not Dre and I have never had a flat out just like fucking argument, but we've had disagreements and at times, and I think. One of the hardest points in our career was I had to separate myself as a man. Mm. Um, I had to stop settling for here's the money, you take half, you take half. We went, we went through that for a long time. And at one point, I felt like I was doing the majority of the work, so I should be getting paid more. So when our contract came up, it was uh, Judy Ellis again, fucking um, over at Hot 97 at the time. A lot of respect for her, but she tried to play both ends against the middle. I told Dre that I want to separate my contract separately. We had the same manager, so I told Charlie, you go in and separate, you go in and you negotiate my deal, or Dre can go first, you negotiate Dre's deal separately from my deal. So Charlie went in, I told him what I wanted, and Judy Ellis, and he negotiated what I, and I got what I wanted, and then he went in, back in with Dre, Dre's deal, and she wouldn't give Dre what she gave me. And that kind of caused a little bit of a rift between us because when she saw him later on, he, she tell she told him Ed took all the money. How did I take the money? I didn't take the yeah, money. Yeah, didn't rob him. Well, we had a certain amount of money allotted for y'all, and Ed took it. Ed didn't take shit. You gave me what I asked for. Yeah. Now you didn't have enough. You weren't being truthful enough to tell him that you ain't think that he was worth that. You try to put it on me, and that caused like a little rift between us. But Dre is always going to be my brother, and there's 
nothing that I wouldn't do for Dre. And but so that was a little, you know, hard yeah, point. Yeah. Hard point between us sometimes. And how's he doing? I know, uh, you know, he's, he's been suffering with... from diabetes, yeah. man. Um, just trying to get himself back healthy, trying to get back on the ball. I need Dre. Hopefully, we'll be doing this this Yo MTV rap stuff tour, like... tour and um, residency in Vegas. Oh, dope. Yeah, yeah so, I, gotta, I gotta check that out. Yeah, so hopefully, we'll bring in different acts in every two or three months and stuff like that, you know, kind of taking you on a journey through hip hop from the eyes of. Dre and I would yo, you know, called the Yo MTV Rats experience. Now, did you, you obviously, uh, MTV owns Yo MTV, the trademark. Right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Okay. okay. Lock, stock, and barrel. God. People have been asking me for years why they don't ever put that stuff out on DVD and all of that. Yeah. It's too expensive. Yeah, yeah. They would have to pay all the labels and all the artists got to get paid. It's just be too expensive. Yeah. You know, uh, did, did Dr. Dre ever running to Dr. Dre where he was like, uh, Yo, You know, let me tell you a funny story yeah. about Dr. Dre and Dr. Dre, and then I'm going to tell you a funny story about Ed Lover and Ludacris. Okay. Dr. Dre was, I don't, Dr. my Dr. Dre got his name because when he was a kid, he was a ball boy for the Nets, and he idolized Dr. J. So he called himself Dr. Dre because his name is Andre. Dr. Dre on the West Coast name is Andre also, but he's a doctor on the turntables. They're both DJs. And he, that's how he became Dr. Dre. At one time, my Dre wanted to send the West Coast Dre a cease and desist letter from using the name. <laughs> and I was like, bro, don't do that. Like, and that was NWA time? Yeah. So you were like, oh, shit, this shit about to get Yeah, I was like, don't punk. do that, man. Don't do it. I was like, this dude is not. He's D-R, period, D-R-E. You spell yours out. D-O-C-T-O-R, Dre. Yeah. You're the heavy Dre. He's not heavy as you. Nobody's going to make a mix-up sure. between you two guys. You're on MTV. He's doing his thing musically. It's not going to be a mix-up. So I'm really glad he didn't do that. When I was on the radio, when I first got on the radio as Ed Lover, I was on MTV as Ed Lover. Scoop and Scrap was Scoop Lover, Scrap Lover. They never said anything to me about becoming a lover. There was Steph Lover. Yep. And then there was a young dude in Atlanta that was going by the name of Chris Lover Lover and Poon Daddy. I was like, there's, and then there was a guy that came later on to New York from somewhere else named Eddie Love. I was like, I'm not having nobody else on the radio using Lover. That's you're not confusing me with this other person, Chris Lover. Lover got my lawyer write up a cease and desist letter from using the name Lover and send it because my shit is incorporated, copywritten, everything. He's not going to do that. Then I thought about it and I was like, mm, that would be fucked up. I shouldn't do that. I shouldn't stop somebody. From getting some money. Chris Lover Lover is ludicrous. Really? Fuck. I never knew that, man. Chris Lover Lover is ludicrous. He was Chris Lover Lover before he started rapping and changed his name to Ludicrous. You, 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 you I never know? sent that letter. I'm so fucking glad I did. Yeah. Because yeah. I love that guy. Yeah. Love him. And we have such a great fucking amount of respect and admiration from each other. He would have probably hated me to this day. Everybody fuck at Yeah, Robert. exactly. Damn I'm mother. glad I didn't do that. Now, what about Dr. Dre? Did they meet each other? Dr. We knew Dr. each Dr. other because, you know, we had NWA on your TV raps. Yeah. Like, I have. Did he say anything? Did Dr. Did, no, did Dr. Dre... they love, yeah. they fucking love each other, man. Um. It's just like when you work hard and you do your thing, people just have a, a certain amount of respect for you. And 
Dre from the West Coast is so fucking talented, and so is Dre from the East Coast. And it was always funny just having them on your own TV rides going, Dr. Dre and Dr. Dre. Yeah. I remember they did a segment like, hey, I'm Dr. Dre. Hey, I'm Dr. Dre. No, I'm Dr. Dre. No, I'm Dr. Dre. <laughs> you know, it, it was cool, man. I got pictures of just me and the West Coast Dr. Dre together. It says Dr. Dre and that lover on the picture. It was just, man, that mutual respect that NWA had for us that we had for NWA it's crazy. In the Straight out of Compton movie, you see them, they were performing in Detroit, and then the cops rushed the stage. Dre and I hosted that concert. That's the first concert when I knew that MTV meant something. Mm. Because I lived in Queens and part of Queens and uh, didn't even, Brooklyn, they didn't even have cable. Yeah. So when I was first on your own TV rides, I couldn't even see this shit. I had to go to somebody's house that, that had the tape and shit and show me what we had did on. I didn't have cable. I didn't have MTV at you the time. You needed a fire stick. Yeah, okay. yeah, something. Yeah, you needed something, but we didn't have it, Pete. So um, when we first went to that Joe Lewis Arena mm. and we stepped on that stage, and I was like, Dre, they're going to boo the shit out of us. Don't nobody know who we are in Detroit. He was like, bro, I'm telling you, we big. And they were like, your host <laughs> your host for the evening is Dr. Dre and that lover. And we came out and they fucking lost their fucking minds. I was like, yo, this MTV shit is pretty big, huh? Did you get the, now with the Puma deal, right? With the your MTV, right? yeah. Does everyone get a piece of that? Yeah, too? absolutely. And then obviously, yeah, that was nice money. A bunch of sneakers, yeah. yeah, that was nice. That was shout out to Puma, man. Shout out to Lugs too. Lugs yeah. used to cut the dumb checks. Really? What? Lugs cut the dumb checks, but what makes me the most proud is that we were able to help a lot of people in the early part of what they was doing. Like, Dre and I was the first ones that was wearing starter on TV. Yeah, yeah. We were the first ones to wear Carl Kanai. I met Carl Kanai. I was walking down the street in, in uh, L.A. Yeah. And he introduced himself. Yeah. He said, I'm a That's designer, right. man. My name is Carl yeah. Kanai. He gave me a card. He said, man, I work out of my crib. Man, I see you guys. I just want to get some clothes on you, some jeans and stuff. And I was like, all right. You- I got in the car and a little bit later on made a you know setup with him and went by his crib. He had like four people down in the basement of a townhouse sewing and he brought out all these clothes and he was like, man, what's your size? And I told him my size. He gave me like all these clothes and we just started wearing it on your own TV rides. We was wearing Carl Kanai, man. You remember uh, April Walker? Remember <laughs> Absolutely, Walker Wear. That's yeah. my girl. Come yeah. on, man. Tony Shulman with Mecca yep, yep, and Nietzsche. Yep, yep. and he was at a complex. Yeah, I just saw day, Tony Shulman all the day. And and April Walker I had Dapper a, Dan. Dapper Dan was my man. I remember uh, being up there the day Mike Tyson beat up uh, <laughs> Mitch uh, Blood Mitch, Green. Yeah, yeah. I was there for that. I'm just making Dapper Dan made our original Young know, TV Raps jackets. Like just saw Dap at uh, Trumpet Awards earlier this year and. Atlanta, man, it's just so good to see these people, man. And, you know, it just makes me proud that I was, in some way, you know, everybody, somebody helped me and I was able to help them. Yeah. As we wind this episode down, you know, you talk about uh, uh, your relationship with Pac. You know, you also uh, met Big. Big was my man. I was sitting. Yo, hold on. Before you even go to that, I remember telling someone, yo, Ed Love is a legend for many reasons. And you don't have to call yourself that, the the, the world will. But I'm like, yo, this motherfucker uh, was cool with Pac. And Big. Yeah. Think about that. Yeah, both yeah, of them. You said you were sitting... I was sitting next to Biggie in the Peterson Automotive Museum when the, when the fire marshal turned the lights on. Sitting mm-hmm. directly next to him, sitting down, drinking Dom Perignon. Mm-hmm. Big had gave me a bottle of Dom P and told me to drink half of it. And I was like, how the I'm fuck just, am I going to drink half a yeah. bottle of Dom? He was like, well, give it to some bitches or something, nigga. I don't give a fuck, but bring it back halfway when you get to the halfway mark. 
So that party was crazy. I just remember having a fucking ball. I'm running around, I'm pouring champagne for people, and I get it to the halfway point in the bottle, and I bring it back to him, and he reaches on the floor, and he picks up a bottle of Grand Marnier and pours it into my bottle oh, and gives it back to me. <laughs> so I'm fucking drunk. We knew that Nas and Steve Stout were having a party in the Hollywood Hills. Um, and I was sitting next to him, and the lights came on, and everybody started leaving, and I used to call him Christopher all the time. He called me Edwin. Okay, Edwin. I was like, okay, Christopher. He's like, are you going to Nas and Stout's party? I was like, yeah, absolutely. I'm going to go get my car right now. He was like, you want to roll with us? I was like, I got a car. I had a rental car. So I got this vet in the back, bro. I'll meet you up there. And that's the last thing we ever said to each other. Mm-hmm. He was like, okay, Edwin. And I was like, okay, Christopher. And we mm-hmm. walked away. Mm-hmm. That's the last time I've seen him alive. Man, you've seen a... a- you see, it's it's crazy how many people we say. Sometimes I love when I do these uh, type of episodes, but sometimes I hate them because we hear. So you know how many rest in pieces we had on yeah. already? Yeah, a lot. You know, you think a about lot. that. A but lot. you know, uh, yo, you vegan now? No. Okay. No hell no. So, I don't, really I don't have the capacity to be a vegan. It's too hard to be a vegan. It's man. a job. It's Are a you job. a vegan? No. No, I'm eating every fucking thing, man. <laughs> I, I'm eating whatever I ain't nailed down. I try to eat. As healthy as possible, I fall off the wagon a lot, but a vegan, nah, I can't do it. I like burgers and steaks and shit. It's just eating in moderation. I'm a skinny, I represent for all the skinny fat dudes. Yeah, that's me, that's me. I get it. Same, I'm, <laughs> I'm I a skinny you. fat dude. Yo, did mom and pops ever get a chance to see the success? Of the mom's, mom's is still alive. She's 81 years old, wow. still living in the house that I grew up in in Queens. She's very happy because her birthday just passed, and I bought her a 55-inch smart TV. Okay, smart all, oh, all she wanted. Then she's not going to know how to all use it. All she wanted. Pops died when I was going the year after I graduated from high school. My father died in 1982, and he never got to see it. Yeah. But well, he's, I, he's, I'm he's him. I know he's watching. Yeah. I'm him. And, and it's pretty good. In a sense that my pops ain't here because he would probably try to manage me. Yeah, yeah. And we had a falling out. Yeah. My pops was a man's man. He would have cursed. I would have got fired from MTV because my father would have cursed everybody the fuck out in there. You know, you know, we touched on this a little, but you're a dude that, like, you know, you, you tell it straightforward. You keep it 100. You keep it real. Yeah. In this business, you know, if if you base it off of emotions, not only with business relationships, just relationships. You, you could lose a lot of opportunities. Yeah, absolutely. Like, say you say you get mad and you don't breathe and think about it. You just come off of grip. Right. You yeah. go, fuck you, fuck you, get yeah. the fuck out of it. Like, That's know, right. And people are like, yo, Ed's hard to work with. Or yeah. I've could, never been hard to yeah. work with. No, I'm saying, but people I might, say I might that. be an asshole when it comes time for certain people that are sitting in this room right now by the name of Krista. Shout out to Krista. my executive Shout producer. Shout out to A. King. And my ma- and A. King and my manager, Kimana, getting me to do something. That I don't want to do, yeah. but when it comes time for me to do it, I do it. And yeah. they will always tell you, I'll do it 150%. Longevity, if I'm into man. it and I love it, I'm doing that shit 150% with a little slack off, but still 150% put my all in all to it. I'm not a hard person to work with if we're working correctly. Absolutely. I'm a hard person to work with if you're trying to nickel and dime me because I know my worth. Absolutely. That's one thing that I will not... I don't like people trying to, I just telling me shit like I'm stupid. Like, I feel like, if I feel like, like you premium Pete, right? Mm-hmm. You've done a lot of shit in your career, bro. You've worked with brands. Don't come and ask premium Pete to do something for free that you're getting paid Absolutely. for. Absolutely. You're getting paid for. Absolutely. So how are you going to ask me to do something and tell me, oh, it's a good look? If I need a look right now, let me tell you what a look is. A look is, to me, 
Antoine Fuqua mm. coming to me and saying, Ed, I have a part that I wrote especially for you. It's scale, but all of your scenes are with Denzel Washington. And it's a piece that could get Denzel an Academy Award. That's a look because I need to be bigger in that world. Sure, sure. Me hosting something for you, whether it's a screening or whether it's a function, that's not a look for me at this point. Sure, sure. I don't need to do that. I'm content with passing on money if it ain't the money that I need. And I tell everybody every check ain't a good check. Certain things I'm just not going to do is certain people that I'm not going to work with, certain brands that are bad for me and for my people that shit on us, and I'm not fucking with you. I don't care how much money you offer me. And tell you, it's a beautiful thing to be able to not only say that shit, to live it. Yeah, you I know, lived I, it I, my I, whole life. I tell people all the time, like, people don't realize, people want the dream job. People see people on Instagram in Hawaii say, I want that. They don't realize this. I tell people all the time, the beautiful thing is doing what you want to do. Look, that's right. I've been doing podcasting with Combat since we started 2010. We dropped an episode a week, rest in peace, and then moving over to my show, I dropped an episode a week for almost 10 years. Wow. Right? But check this out. Never missed, a, never missed an episode. But this is what I say, and I swear, this is Combat. We never call somebody up like, yo, uh, we need someone on the show this week, whoever. Like, yo, you got the mailman? How crazy is it to sit here and say that I was able to pick who I wanted? That's right. You know what I mean? And that's and and then to me, that's a special thing because it's like, I don't just say, like, yo, I need to fill in. I don't do no fillers. To be able to do, and that's what Reggie, that's what Reggie, I, under the tutelage of him, showed me, like, yo, go who you believe in. Put the story on not only an Ed level, but even somebody that you feel is, uh, 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 you know, people need to know. Putting the names of people that may not be as high, but have great stories. That's right. You know, uh, b- before we get out of here, uh, off air, you were telling me a story about, first of all, you're a Knicks fan. I'm a Knicks fan. Yeah. And it's tough being a Knicks fan. It's, it's honestly, hard as fuck. It's, it's, honestly, it's honestly like being in solitary confinement, <laughs> man. Um, but more importantly, uh, I remember you were telling me the story about Jordan. And, and, and Jordan and, 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 and Charles Barkley and 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 uh Patrick Ewan. I'm in um Minneapolis for the for the All Star game. Um and it's a great all star game. I used to love going to all all star weekends, man. We having a good time. It was cold as fuck. And somehow I ended up at some party in the VIP section with uh, all of these guys. And this is a really quick two part story. The first part of the story is Michael Jackson, Michael Jackson, Michael Jordan and I have always had a great relationship. Mm. Always. How'd that happen? Um, just through, he came on your own TV routes with Fab. He's a fan. I'm a fan of his, fan of the sneakers, fan of his game. Met him through different people. We always, whenever they used to do a release in New York, Drain, I used to host it at Nike Town for Jordan, Jordan Brand, yep. Yep. everything. Mike is fucking cool with me, man. Always has been, always will be. Like, gambled with Mike in the Bahamas one time. Blackjack? Law- lost $5,000 gambling in fucking Roulette? Bahamas. Blackjack. Oh, Blackjack. Five grand done. I walk away Fuck. from the table pissed. I'm standing at the bar soaking. He comes back to me because it's a lockdown table. So it's his table. He's rocking 250 grand, $300,000. He gets me. No, it was roulette. It was fucking roulette because he kept telling me what to bet on and I fucking kept losing. I lost five grand <laughs> and I walked away and I'm at the bar having a drink and I'm fucking pissed. It's my man Michael Blue Williams' wedding weekend. I'm burnt that I lost $5,000. He comes up to me and grabs me by the back of my neck and go, you a sore loser, motherfucker. I said, yeah, I ain't got money like you. And he puts $10,000 in chips in my hand. Really? 
Yeah, so he gave me my five that I lost and the extra five. You, did so, you go cash it out? Hell, I kept that. I cashed it and put that money right back in my fucking pocket. <laughs> so me and Mike always had that relationship. So when I see him coming to the party, he always stops and Mike, what's up? What's good? And I'm like, yo, what you doing? He's getting ready to get a cigar in his mouth. I said, give me a cigar. He goes, you don't smoke? I'm like, Mike, I fucking smoke cigars. Mm. Give me a cigar. What's your favorite cigar? So then I tell him a few cigars. Oh, shit, you do smoke. So he reaches his pocket. He gave me a cigar. He cuts it. And I'm like, I ain't got no lighter. And he lights the cigar. And I leaned over and people just start taking pictures. So whoever's out there that has that picture of Michael Jordan lighting my cigar, can I please have that? Thank you. I don't have a copy Jump of it. Jump in the DMs. Yeah, just drop it and get it to me. So we're at the party and forever they just talk shit. These dudes get together. They start drinking. They talk shit. They talk about basketball. They talk about everything. Barkley said something. Mike told him, shut the fuck up. You never, you ain't got no championship. Shut up. Patrick Ewing was right behind us, and Patrick goes, man, shit. Barkley might not got one, but I'll be damned if I ain't get one, man. We in there. We in there this year. Next year is your year. Our fucking year. The next year is next year. And Mike turns to him and goes, Patrick, as long as I'm playing basketball, the New York Knicks will never win a fucking championship. <laughs> Ever. And I turned to Mike and said, Mike, cut us some slack, man. Come on. Fuck that, Ed. Y'all ain't winning shit. I don't give a fuck. Patrick, you ain't getting shit. None of y'all are getting shit. It's like Isaiah and them got fucking lucky because such and such were hurt, and they just talk just what they do. They talk fucking shit, and I love being around them. Man, Mike, 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 Mike J, the legend, but the Knicks, we got to get better, man. Well, I don't know where we're going to go from get, here. Dolan. Dolan needs to sell the team to somebody yeah. who actually gives a fuck yeah. and has the uh, yeah. relentless attitude yeah. to build the team. Yeah, when you didn't offer Kevin Durant a max contract, mm -hmm. there's something wrong with yeah. you. Because even at 70%, yeah. Kevin Durant is Superstar. still better than 99% of the players in the league. Sure. Sure, it's a superstar. Yeah. You know, uh, uh, Instagram, Mr. Ed Lover? Or just Mr. Ed, Ed Lover. Lover. Okay. Mr. Ed. Oh, oh, at Ed, Ed Lover. Lover. At, at Ed Lover, Lover on Instagram. Mr. Twitter? Ed Lover on Twitter. Now, you, you fucking with both? You still like Twitter? Yeah. And yeah. What, what about uh, Instagram? Graham, I love the Graham. Yeah. I fucking love the Graham. And coming back... By popular demand, on, talk about it. I, I promise y'all, this year, come on, son, we'll make its return. Yo, but when it just came out, it took the world by storm. I'm dead yeah. serious. This ain't no fucking, I, I ain't just talking to talk. Uh, funny, uh, smart, creative. Uh, people loved it. Come on, son. Did you trademark, come on, son? Yes, I did. There we go. See, we, see it may not be MTV, okay, but we got it. Yeah, we uh, got it. Uh, and, it and it's, and it's going to come back because the gram now has I can have the capacity of just throwing it up on a gram and ain't got to worry about YouTube and the clearances. Exactly, and exactly. YouTube started flagging me. I got discouraged. My editors started getting slow on me. So I was just like, you know what? Fucking, I'm going to leave this shit alone. But it's, it's too many people, man, that just love this shit and just keep asking me to do it again. Well, don't stop it, man. Don't I stop won't. It. I will, and, I'll and, do it whether it's only get three views. I don't give a fuck. There we go. And, and, and people can hear you. Uh, still on radio. 104.3 Jams right here in Chicago. First thing, 6A to 10A. Working early in the fucking morning. Still and my podcast up. because of you guys. Yep, yep. Come on, some podcast. Come on, son, the podcast. Thank and, you. Listen, internets, okay? Uh, I hope you enjoyed this episode. More importantly, here's the crazy thing. It's, it, this is a long episode. You can't even go through your career. <laughs> we, ain't like, we ain't scratching. You know, you know what I mean? But- I want people to stay connected to the Come On Some podcast. I want people to stay connected to your channels. Uh, you know, Ed, I mean this, uh, and I, I truly, truly mean this. Hip hop is a puzzle, and and there's so many different people who are, are, are a piece of that puzzle. So you could put it together, right? You know what I mean, right? And and your contributions, I mean, 
you know, are, are forever, you know. Uh, some people, I feel like hip hop doesn't give uh, uh, the love it should to, uh, you know, it, it, it's to the people to that the people help that make that possible. It, but, but yeah. I'm, I, I know I'm thankful, and there's a lot of people Thank you. that are, man. Thank you, brother. You know? Thank you. Premium Pete. Ed Lover. In the building. Come on, Cheer. son. Come on, son. Fuck out of here with that bullshit. Peace. Come on, son. son. This Ed Lover podcast is being done in conjunction with Cigars International. Make sure you check out cigarsinternational.com for all your cigar needs. This episode of Come On, Son, the podcast is produced and engineered by co-executive producers Kimana Paulus and Krista Hayes. Recorded at Mean Street Studios in downtown Atlanta, Georgia, this is an official Loudspeakers Network podcast.